Welcome back to the OPEX podcast where fitness is explained. I am your host, Robbie Burke, and I'm joined on today's show once again by James Fitzgerald. On this episode, James and I have a really in-depth discussion around energy system development. This is an absolutely fantastic episode with James. It is jam-packed full with information. I know everyone's going to love it. Stay with us. All right, Fitzy, it is great to have you back on the podcast again. It's good to be here. You're, you're saying that red suits me the best out of all the t-shirts. Yeah, you've, you wanted me to include that point again. Yeah, I did. Just for the, this, just for the, everyone yeah. should know this is cut number three, and this is the third time he asked me to mention oh, that, so that he looks second, good in red. Second excuse you. You do look uh, good. I actually made the point you do look good in red. If I was to make a recommendation, it should be red every time. It just makes the pinkish hue in your face come alive. Uh, that's called sunburn because we actually had sun in Ireland for the first time Ooh, in 12 months. Yeah, a I know. Liar. That is a lie. I actually got out and tried to get some vitamin D into me. My body didn't know what was going on. Um, so listen, energy system development, go. You have one hour. Wow. Wow. Big topic. But great, uh, great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So my first question is, what was, what was, what is the fascination that you have with energy system development? Because, man, you are so passionate about that topic. Along with maximum physical potential, you, yeah. can, you can just wrap on energy systems until the cows come home, as we say here. Yeah, um, I think um, maybe I'll make this uh, something you could probably recognize, too, and what you've seen in some young athletes on the uh, permafrost grass pitch over there at some times. Um, I can remember, you know, in hockey practice, this is one example, but numerous ones. I can remember in hockey practice, um, when we were doing like in peewee, um, I can remember our coaches giving us, um, for drills and also for punishment, suicide sprints, but that's what they're called suicide sprints, where you'd start on the end line and be two groups, right? A team, you know, a team of, uh, 16 to 18 players. And a group of nine would go and every second athlete would be picked out. Um, and on the command, the coach would watch us. We'd go blue line back, center line black, opposite blue line back, opposite end line and back. And then the other group would go right when the last person finished. Right. And we would do that over, over again, sometimes 15 to 20 iterations of it. And we would continue to do it due to punishment or a poor game or lack of cohesion or whatever. And I could remember like licking my chops and going 100% all the time. So there was something about that expression of physical ability leading to performance. I always connected how well I did mentally inside my head during those sprints, hmm. as well as I was even thinking at a young age, how is this carrying over to me participating at a better level in cross-country running? basketball, badminton, soccer, because I played all those other sports. And I was always saying to myself, this, what I'm doing right now, and this pain, hands on knees, feeling blood in your throat for like 45 minutes to an hour, um, it's doing something that's going to be beneficial to that. So I can remember to answer your question, why is it in me? I think it's just for some reason, I was always fascinated around what work people can do that's going to carry over to an increase in performance and what is actually happening in that work setting that fascinated me, you know, just fascinated me. I never really got into the true investigation of 
let's call it work, um, until a university setting where I um, banged into one of my initial mentors, Dr. Dennis Svetko, who was a professor at Memorial University of Newfoundland in biomechanics, anatomy, physiology. Um, and we all fell in love with him right away um, because, and his predecessor was my, one of my biggest mentors, David Bame, who we did uh, muscle fatigue uh, research mm -hmm. on. He introduced me to the lab where I had to test people, right? Initially testing people on metabolic carts and, and uh, actually seeing what happens when people get tired, right? And so that started to fascinate me. It was like, why do people get tired? And then, of course, you read in the books, like, oh, this is why people get tired, you know? This is work capacity, and this is how O2 exchanges it. And you see people get tired. And it's like, I'm not sure if that's what's in the book as to what's making people get tired. So I connected all those previous experiences with now what was in a lab setting, and I started to, like, fall in love with this idea of fatigue in work. Um, and I think that's essentially, Robbie, why I'm just keenly interested in um, energy system training is because I love trying to figure out how to train to get better at those settings. And secondly, I love trying to figure out what actually is going on when people get tired. And of course you have to investigate what we call energy system work in order to improve that. Mm. So this week, or sorry, I should say last week, OPEX um, put out its uh, free ebook on energy system development. And maybe I think a good thing for the viewers and the listeners would be to give them a sort of overview of how OPEX breaks down the three energy systems. So, um, you know, what I really liked and appreciated, and again, it's, it's great going back looking at the 2012 CCP level one and comparing it to the brand new 2017 because you can kind of see the evolution. Um, and I really loved how you guys have named the three energy systems um, gain, pain, and sustain. So I think it would be really good just to give an overview of uh, gain, pain, and sustain, and, and, you know, the energy systems that they're associated with. Yeah. Um, well, that free booklet is not necessarily going to, I'll just preempt, not going to entail everything of that course. I'm going to follow up here with, but it's a good insight to people to kind of get them like interested. Um, and why we put it into the language of gain, pain, and sustain is to create frameworks. So people need to understand that having a heuristic around, you know, um, areas allows coaches to at least grasp and say, well, what, what is that? Like, what, what are we doing there? Because I'm not a fan of the, you know, uh, expression of this in education of just being like, it's everything and all kinds of things. So good luck at that. Cause that just leads coaches to being unfulfilled and lost. And so that's why we put it into categories of gain, pain, sustain gain would be considered an alactic scenario when we're talking just energy system training pain would be lactic scenarios and sustain would be sustainable activities um, or aerobic oxidative scenarios. Hmm. Um, and we do know that there's this gray blend, you know, where sometimes they all work together and sometimes one moves from one into another. And there isn't like a magical number where at like 25, 24 seconds is like, Ooh, did you feel that we moved from like a lactic to lactic? I really felt that, you know, yeah. but we do put times and specific methods of training each one because it allows a coach to use it in practice to see if there's improvements made in the training process, right? Um, it also makes it safe so that they're not just guessing at what's happening. Um, and we're okay with the fact that the naming may be slightly off in some certain instances when there's blends, but at least we get to classify it if that makes sense, okay? 
So that's why we call it gain, pain, and sustain. And really, um, I'll put, make it brief, and maybe we can stretch some of the areas out. Um, the first thing that we that people should consider when um, you want to discuss how to do energy system training is, I think, a forgotten question that people ask is, why are you doing it? Mm. And we get so caught up in the design around the possible dose response or the effects of different styles of repeated stress intervals or different kinds of training, et cetera. And we forget to ask the question, well, what are you getting from trying to improve each of these areas? And so that's where I always sit on how I lay it out is I first and foremost say, these are the, you know, these are the methods that you do to, in order to improve each of these areas of gain, pain, sustain. But you always want to ask the question, well, why am I training it? And can they actually express it? So when you train in a general synopsis, when you train a lactic work, number one, someone needs to be strong enough in order to express a lactic training, right? In the context of a lactic energy system training. And we categorize a lactic energy system training up to 20 seconds. Remember in characteristics, right? and for frameworks um, of power into an endurance setting. And we train it in that format because it forces people to get strong enough first to express that energy system. Mm. So, you know, you could call something a lactic at 12 seconds and give someone lots of rest, right? And see it in a book. But unless you have a human, a training age, an intent, a modality, and a reason for doing it, it's just 12 seconds of something, you know? But it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's 12 seconds of a lactic, if that makes sense. So you have to be able to express that if you're doing a lactic work. And that's why we say you need to be strong enough first in order to not only express power, but to extend power out. Because the goal of a lactic work, if you're doing it, should be to extend power to the right. Now that that's again, this goes back to now like carry over sports specificity where it could get gray. For lactic work, it pretty much just makes sense. You're not trying to express power out to the right because it's diminishing, right? Power and time just changes over time. So the whole idea for doing lactic work is just for metabolic expression. Mm. So the main reason why we do lactic, again, back to the why you're doing it, is for a metabolic response, stress adaptation, or a boost to the aerobic system. So you should be doing lactic work for that only. It's because it's called unsustainable activities. And, and I don't want to go into it here. Maybe we will in conversation where it gets political. But I think this has no part to play in anyone's training who's in general population. Mm. Because I think this has absolutely no carryover to life or function. And even I'd argue, which is lengthy, it takes away from someone's max physical potential. It ages people very fast, et cetera, et cetera. Because it even just, look, just listen to it. It's unnatural. It's unsustainable training. So you're training to be unsustainable. So you're training to die sooner. You're training to, to learn how to drop power in a task, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that's, again, we got to go back to asking why you do it for pain, for sustain. We teach endurance before power in sustainable activities. Why do we do that? Um, which is 
believe it or not, is a very heated conversation out there. <laughs> Number one is because the people that push power before endurance are selling something that's a biohacker fast track model. Number two, no one can fit in true aerobic training because they can't fit it into their 60 minute class, right? I can't fit that in. So gotta be wrong. Um, we keep forgetting that you need to train aerobic or sustain uh, aerobically to improve aerobic potential. You're not doing it to get fat, get done faster than anyone else. So now you provide research, you know, white paper evidence to uh, cherry pick to say that this aerobic potential helps people so you can fit it into your 30 minute class. Um, we're not doing it for those reasons. We're not doing it to burn fat. Should, should it matter? You know, based upon percentages of what work you, I really don't care. But why, why do we even ask that question is like, what kind of training burns the most fat? It, that, that makes absolutely no, no sense in terms of why you're doing the training. If you're doing the training to get better alactically, get better lactically or, or aerobically, you probably should do it such that that system gets better. Mm. But ironically, the aerobic system does not get better through high intensity models as measured. So you have to start with easy shit and move it towards power as someone can express that over time because they can express it, they can recover from it, and it leads to max potential in the end. So that's OPEX sustain. So OPEX gain is to express power and move it to the right, but they got to be strong enough. Number two is for metabolic purposes only, question its function. And number three for sustain, you want to do it endurance leading into power just to get better aerobically. Okay, so that's a lot of the why. Um, mm -hmm. Some people are going to ask how. So in mm. terms of starting with the alactic system, when you say people need to get stronger and need to be able to produce better biological output, mm. uh, how, how do you, what, what's the prescription for that? Is it, is it like, yeah. what, what are the means and the methods? Yeah, it's, well, remember, it's their best biological output. Mm. I think that's what we want to clarify. Um, because people get, you know, they can say, well, what, what kind of wattage should I hold? Or what, what should that look like? It's like, well, I really don't care. It's that, the dose response has to be effective enough that I'll give you an example. It, re it really is a lactic if, you know, someone, and I'll make it real generalized, they start to produce power and it's sustainable with fast contractions and a big metabolic response to a bigger epoch. And then somewhere around nine seconds, you can just see the power dropping like at a very fast rate. Okay. Mm -hmm. So at nine seconds, that's the end of quote unquote, the a lactic training that they just did. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then in most cases, if that's a true expression of a lactic, they should require three to 20 minutes after that nine seconds. Okay. So this is what people, you know, get a little bit messed up. They're like, well, uh, it only takes most of my clients like 40 seconds before they can repeat that. And in most cases, number one, it doesn't mean you're wrong. You're going to hurt people. But number one, they actually are not doing a lactic work, right? It's called a lactic aerobic or muscle endurance, or it's possibly even glycolytic. Um, I would even argue it's aerobic because this, it's almost the same work rest mm. scenario. Mm. Um, and number two, they're not strong enough to express that. And so this is where people get, they're, they get a little uh, folded on, you know, what the rest period should be. And, but my, my comment is on your point of how to do it. You, number one, you got to be able to express it such that after 10 seconds of work, you need five minutes of rest. And if you don't need five minutes of rest, you're actually not expressing what I wanted you to do for the energy system training. Mm. 
So you can see, Robbie, that there's possibly, and I would, I put the numbers really high, but 90% plus of people participating in general population of fitness can't express a lactic work. Mm -hmm. They actually can't express it. And what you saw at Altus was the 0.007% of the population who actually needs training of like seven levels of a lactic work because they can actually express it to the most elite degree, right? I also saw that in, a, in the ice house in Calgary with bobsledders, mm. right? You want to see people who could put out a tremendous amount of power in five seconds? Like those are those people. But guess what? They needed like seven minutes to recover before they can do another push. Not because it took that long to get the sled back up. It's like, I can't go again. So, you know, as a rookie coach in there in my late 20s, I'm just like, why are you guys taking so long? And the reason why is because I didn't know what it was like to express nine seconds of hard effort, right? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is like, so for the lactic work in how, you got to be able to express it. And th then it doesn't allow us to get too gray, but th that should answer your question. If you do tech and 10 seconds of work and it's energy system work, it's not weightlifting. It's stuff that has fast contractions, high turnover and low load, right? Think of it as the, on the absolute speed continuum, right? Cyclical activities. Yeah, cyclical activities. And it may not be cyclical, but in most cases it is, right? So it could be prowler, sled push. It could be a sprint. could be flywheel bike. It's probably not a row or a ski or reverse a climber or something like that because you just can't turn over fast enough. Mm. But just think of it as something really quick. At the end of that 10 seconds, if you don't need three minutes, you're just not doing a lactic work. That's just, that's basically it, right? And what I mean by three minutes is that you should be able to express that same amount of energy the next 10 seconds. Not just like put on your watch is like, oh, I'm at a minute. Let's just go again. And now your speed diminishes in the second set. You're now getting into a saved pattern, right? That's improper for production actually of power. And secondly, you're probably getting glycolytic now because you're reaching motor unit um, fatigue and, uh, and a metabolic disruption, et cetera. So that's how you train a lactic work. And then lactic, do you want me to continue into lactic? Sure. So yeah. lactic, lactic, you know, it gets a little bit more extensive, but you know, it moves into this period where you're, we just call it like the holy shit moment when people are moving past this, you know, uh, production of power and the O2 debt where they could feel some tingling. They could feel, you know, where the respiration changes. They could feel like they're not connecting their brain and their will to what they're capable of for production of extended power. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, wow. You know, I, I believe it's called the shitty shit shit. A good friend of mine. Yeah, that's why, that's why we call it that is because, it, and people will laugh at this, but it's, it's almost, it's doing like 50 seconds of stuff that's fairly hard. Mm -hmm. And you're like all intent. It's like, okay, this can be a great set for 50 seconds. And then you're doing it and you're doing real good. And you're like, man, it's gotta be like 35 seconds. And you look down, it's like 17 seconds that have gone. Right. So that's the perspective of lactic training is that you're trying to make it unsustainable further out in time when you've almost wasted all CP reserves and your brain is now saying, Hey dude, we're getting really low in O2 and the production of what I know you want to do to move this shit out there's no way we can recover from this. So I'm going to give you something as a fuel substrate or a little bit of energy through adrenaline or possibly even a change up in fuels to allow you to move this shit out further because O2 is lowering and I know you still want to continue. I know we still got 30 seconds of this shit left. So that's the consequences of metabolic training out there 
is it looks like this on a graph. You come up and you're working, 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 working. But the drop-off for lactic work is wasn't like a lactic. A lactic drop-off is like that. Mm. Lactic drop-off is like that. Mm. You slowly drop power because of the contractile elements and the metabolic fatigue and the amount of sustainable power you have out there is just is not as high as was it was for a lactic work. I'll give an example. When people do a lactic training on a flywheel bike, it's not uncommon for us to see 1600 Watts on there. Right. But when they do one minute of lactic training on the flywheel bike, it's not uncommon to see an average pace of like 950 or a thousand Watts. Right. So although that sounds crazy for some people, it is possible for some, um, they can maintain that for that period of time. Right. But you can see it's tremendously different than the a lactic wattage and output when they do that. So that's lactic training. It's shitty shit shit. And it should take you not the same times the work period as recovery, but it should still still take should take you a tremendous amount of time to recover from it. And now under the power time curve, you get further out to the right, you start moving past this point in time where things are not unsustainable anymore. And so when you do these pieces of work where you're working, 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 if you were to stop, your power output would drop really slowly, you know, as your potential. And that's when you're starting to move into areas that are called aerobic training or what we call OPEX sustain. Um, and we train that from the right side of the graph inward. And we do really slow work and endurance work. And we move that slow, long, voluminous work into faster paces to, to bring it back to the middle of the curve. Um, and the fastest amount of aerobic work with the highest power production, that's not lactic. Mm. Do you think the development of a very robust aerobic base, for lack of a better term, is so that, well, essentially, it'll allow you express better power output in terms of um, the alactic and lactic system? Because I suppose yes. if, you, if you have a poor uh, aerobic development, your, your, your brain kind of perceives, listen, you do not have the recoverability to the, from from an expression of pure alactic power or alactic power capacity or lactic power capacity. So we won't allow you to output that type of force. So that's yes. why that's why you're such a, an opponent or a proponent, sorry, proponent, not opponent, proponent mm -hmm. of building that base. Because if you can't recover from something, you won't be able to express it. Yeah, and I think we may, I, yes, what, what you just said, put that into a, a snippet and sell that shit. Um, you, what you said there, I think we may want to start calling it something different though, Robbie, is it, cause I don't think people can deal with the fact that it's aerobic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think aerobic is connotated with a weaker system. Yeah. Um, and people think that with aerobic training, they're going to get weaker and they're going to get skinny and they're going to lose muscle. Cause that's what people are selling. So I think what we may need to call it is volume. Mm -hmm. So when people accumulate a tremendous amount of volume, let's take the perfect program, right? Again, let's go back to max physical potential. At 12 years of age, a kid is playing soccer and badminton and, and uh, doing some gymnastics and rock climbing and hiking and biking and swimming, okay? And they do all these things, which as you can just imagine, if a kid was balanced like that for like eight years, they have a tremendous amount of shit put together, right? So, but just say they're doing lots of it, right? Up until they're 18, 19. Then that person at 19, up until they're 50 years of age, has an unbelievable potential of a max physical potential opportunity because in my language, 
they've done a tremendous amount of aerobic training, mm-hmm. right? And because I'm considering aerobic training sustainable work that started with volume before it was moved into intense, fast contractions for a purpose that was possibly non-functional. And I did start with 12 simply because I wanted to get people to think about how much volume is required to do that maximum peak. Um, you know where I go on that. But I think we should probably start calling it just volume because then people will st- stop accumulating because volume kind of sounds inherently exciting. It's like, Ooh, I love volume. I love training. So, you know, so, okay, great. You want to, you want to do uh, you want to get better at these max potential op- opportunities then, you know, so my comment is always, you know, it's not about one hit or one good contraction, right? That's what people think, even in weightlifting, right? You ask any weightlifting coach and they're like, I don't give a shit about, you know, uh, your opener or how you do in your first lift. You got to be able to sustain for the entire day mm. and for the qualifiers. And for, so people are like, well, how do they get better at that? And if we call it aerobic training, then people think it's like, oh my God, you got to make them run 10 Ks. Like, no, no, it's volume, right? It's accumulation of volume that allows a faster recovery between the maximums right? And depending upon the sport, I chose one that could be a little more challenging for people to recognize, like, uh, how do you accumulate volume when you do that? It's just years of experience and maybe just a bunch of other muscle endurance activity and good lifestyle, but it just allows them to get faster recovery between those maximum efforts. Because it's not about doing it one time, right? Like, you know, with sprinters, right? It's like, who cares if you could do uh, under 10 one time? If it takes you four weeks to recover from it, that's not going to help you when you're qualifying. You you remind me of a a really great thing Dan Fast spoke about in a lecture one time. Um, I'll dig out the audio and send it to you. I think you'd really like it. There's these three audios that I got years ago, and they're from Dan. and just talking about training theory. And he spoke about when he was training um, Donovan Bailey that uh, he was like, you know, Donovan was a bit of a challenge. He always was like, why are we doing this? If you didn't see a reason in something. And Dan said he'd always try and work his sprinters up to 18 block starts if they could get up to that. He called it work. He, he, he also doesn't like the term aerobic or aerobic base. He's like a base of what? He's like work specific capacity. That's what I'd call that. And he would, uh, he was saying with Donovan, he's like, right, if we went to a big championship he, and he walked them through it and he was like, how many starts do you think you do over the course of two days plus heats and qualifiers? And then, you know, one or two. So me and the therapist see it. And eventually it worked out to about 18. And he goes, that's why we do 18. Cause I need you to have that capacity going into competition. So you kind of just remind me of that with the, with the weightlifting example, like people go, weightlifters don't need capacity. It's like, uh, capacity to them might be different to what you're thinking in your head. Like, cause you, you're thinking of like a marathon runner or even a, a, a team, a field-based player, but capacity to them is specifically their sport, which is, can they hit six lifts all out if they have to? Yeah. People forget about warmups. People forget about pre-competition. People forget about peaking. People forget about maintaining characteristics. So this, you know, you forget that a weightlifter doesn't just come in and be like, oh, magical moment, let's all work. They probably know four weeks out exactly where they're, you know, roundabout going to be, right? If it's left up to magic and Red Bull and drugs, then obviously that changes things, but that's not the case. So you got to ask, how do you maintain the highest peak potential, right, for those four weeks? It's truly the amount of volume that you've accumulated, which allows you to navigate intensity and recover from those intense pieces. Mm. That's not, it's not will. You can't, you can't three weeks out, like do something really intense and then feel tired and be like, I'll just get up tomorrow and I'll be stronger. No, if you're tired and your CNS is capped out, 
it's the strength of the aerobic system that dictates you coming back a day later. And that is through training and lifestyle. And what we're talking about today is the training aspect of it. And I don't just want to leave it to lifestyle because people think, oh, I heard you can just clean up your gut and you're going to get more aerobics. Like, well, you can try. It certainly helps. But training, you know, I love training because there's truth in that. Just going back to the exercise. Well, beautiful wording, by the way. Sorry to stop you. Beautiful wording that I took note on for Dan's comment on uh, work-specific capacity. That's beautiful. As well, the story of functional volume. I love that because functional volume is truth. I love the way he magically put that across to the athletes. So much beauty in that story in communication. I'll dig out that audience. It was, it was Patrick Ward who actually sent them to me initially about like 2010. And I've listened awesome. to him multiple times. Um, obviously, like Dan has Sorry. Such, Dan has been such a, a godfather to all of us. Oh, yeah. Uh, just going back to exercise selection or, or the means or the modes for energy system development. So with A-Lactic, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, and again, there is no black and white, but you were kind of no, saying. No, but there's a slim few. Yeah. There's a exactly. slim, yeah, there's a slim yeah. exercise selection. I think of it as like a, a funnel, right, that opens up when you get further away from the starting mm-hmm. point, right? So when you do a lactic work, it's, I, I call it very primal. That yeah. really, really, and there, there could be a lot of, you know, I'm sure if you sat down with a number of uh, really purist sprint coaches, uh, I would probably sit well in their room when I discuss this by saying that. I believe we're set up physiologically and humanly possible to, to express the highest level of alactic potential through sprinting. Okay. So, and then there's a lot of reasons that could be, as like you mentioned, gray on that, like maybe a moderate to low level prowler push, right? Mm -hmm. Where there's a running start and then go for it. And then you're just turning over or an expo sled. Some people can get, let's call it a dose response of an alactic work when they do eight to 10 seconds on a flywheel bike. Again, this is pretensed by the fact that the person is powerful enough in their lower body to elicit this response. Um, I'm sure there's some people out there like Brian Shaw or Eddie, um, the strong man. Eddie Hall. Yeah. Who could possibly in 10 seconds get a row dose response of a lactic. Do you know what I'm saying? So it takes a quite a robust individual, but um, the exercise selection for each of those get more the further you get away from the starting point of zero seconds yeah yeah so, so you get into 2030 it starts opening up some more some more options right mm. pat prowler flywheel bike possibly a rower possibly a versa climber still sprinting um you could be doing some other still faster cyclical activities that could get you there right you get into 60 90 seconds two minutes now it opens up what in my area really, because I think I'm the only one investigating that area of mixed modal opportunities for expression of power. Um, And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that strength and conditioning in science is not open to discussing Mm -hmm. that is beautiful around the development of that area. Um, And I understand why they're not is because they know that it's going to lead to the shitty shit shit. And also it's not very functional, right? But I find it super interesting because it's a tool that we need to be good at in order to make people good in fitness. Which is where... I was going to go to my next question, which was mixed model. So, I mean, I personally feel with energy systems, I have a good grasp, but I have a very good grasp only to the point of where I'm just really prescribing one modality for, yeah. the, for the development of the energy system. Because like, I come from a team sport background. So, you know, my sort of uh, investigation into it has nowhere uh, been as broad as yours coming from the world of fitness. Um, so 
maybe just like for someone who's new to like even the term of mixed modal, like, you know, you actually described the beauty there. Basically, the longer we go on with our effort, the more sort of um, opportunities we have to, to get into mixed modal um, activities. But maybe just like what is mixed modal for someone and then, and then why would we want to utilize it? And then sort of what energy systems does it go well with? And maybe talk about some good prescriptions or, or even some poor prescriptions too. Yeah, um, well, why do it? Well, if you participate in the sport of fitness, you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, why do it? Um, I still think that needs some investigation, but preliminarily from my empirical data and my experience with using it, um, I think in essence, it creates a probably a more powerful version of lactic endurance and a more um, long-term a sustainable model of lactic endurance progressions. The reason being is that the constant variance inside of it provides, as you know, an adaptation per session, mm. but it also doesn't get into overuse of specific patterns. So something yeah, that you can yeah. kind of keep in your pocket as being, mm, that's kind of interesting. If I do it correctly, it doesn't yeah. allow me to get into these patterns, but it systemically improves lactic buffering or production of lactate or et cetera, whatever you wanted to do. Um, I think that in the in the definition of it, uh, you asked a number of questions there, and I'm trying to remember. I th- I think I, th- I have them all. Um, when we call it mixed modal, we're assuming there's a loaded proportion inside of it. There's a gymnastics portion, and there's a cyclical component. Okay. And we call them WGMs, or it was proposed by Glassman way back in the day: weight training, gymnastics, monostructural. I have a slight variation in in terminology for those, but I put them as loaded, unloaded, or cyclical activities. Um, and I've already mentioned to you why you would do it. Um, but it allows you the reason when you have WGMs, it allows you to try to get the right dose response with lots of variation, um, such that you still are honoring the work rest scenarios and the dose response and the effectiveness of it. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure you can, you can understand that it's almost impossible to get the perfect dose response as you would, if you were only using running or flywheel bike or a rower as your modality, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I propose that people should use for my own specific reasons, theoretically, a weight training followed by gymnastics, followed by a cyclical activity in that order past 40 seconds. And the reason why we say use it past 40 is that with the transition in elements up to 40 seconds for power production, we get a lot of loss in power. So just say, for example, you say do three power cleans, do six burpees, and then sprint your ass off for 10 seconds. Um, that looks like a p- bunch of work that's done, let's say, in 25 seconds. But if you were to actually measure them with like a little machine that was connected to them that showed you power production, the curve of it would be like power clean, power clean, burpee, 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 and then sprint. So you got to ask yourself, why wouldn't I just want to express as much power as possible in the entire time frame, as opposed to the variation? So the very, and believe me, I tried it all. So I know it's incorrect. Um, also, Dan Baker has done a bunch of research on this. He called it complex methods of power production, um, where he showed that an athletic lift followed by a sprint afterwards was a better increase in power production than only cyclical work by itself. Mm-hmm. And he did max vertical jump, wind gate test, and force plate. And he showed that those mixed work was actually more important um, or more effective, let's say, in rugby players. But I use that because I saw that empirically with all the folks I worked with as well with an extended lactic endurance ability when they did these pieces. So past 40 seconds, weight training, I think it 
expresses the CP system really well, mm -hmm. which means that when people get started on a sprint and just bear with me for a second, if someone was just going to sprint hard for 50 seconds, I really think that they actually are not capable of fully expressing their CP system because their brain knows they need to go for 50 seconds. So when you do a weight training piece, let's say seven touch and go power cleans at 65% of a one RM, your brain immediately is almost getting rid of the entire CP system um, at a faster rate than if it was to start off slow and then build up in power, if that makes sense. So once you're finished expressing all that out, and the seven is a nice number to start with, there's a lot of scientific evidence too based upon expression of that system for seven, seven repetitions in the, the time frame of it. If it's followed by gymnastics piece, burpee we see is probably the best gymnastics piece that's used for that because the heart goes through multiple different iterations of position. Um, it has a very high contractile rate. The body's being moved through the largest range of motion and space. Um, remember that now we almost wiped out all the entire CP system. So we don't have a lot of like, let's call it pieces to work with here. Mm. So we're still trying to wipe that puppy out, but we're getting to this area now past 10, 15 seconds where the body is starting to go lower in O2 and start to figure out exactly what it's going to do to extend power out. So now we're done with those 10 burpees as fast as possible. Now we get onto a cyclical piece, which has low load, low eccentric contractions and allows us to metabolically work on just everything we got to work with now, which is pretty much just O2 availability and production of power that's, that's extended out. So, you know, I just gave you an example, seven power clean touch and go, 10 burpee over barbell, and then 20 seconds on a flywheel bike allows a really, really illicit amount of power production um, just to finish up what we mean by mixed modal work. Mixed modal work can be done over 40 seconds in that order for lactate training. Um, and then you can do mixed modal in aerobic training, which is fairly complex in its design, but, um, you can do it as well in aerobic training in multiple different ways, but it still has to be done with that idea of endurance first before you get to faster, powerful, uh, mixed modal aerobic work. You just took my next question. I was just going to say what aerobic the, training. Well, what are the pre, well, we can get into that. What are the prerequisites though? Like for, for an individual. So, yeah. so obviously an aerobic base, but like the, the one other thing too is like motor control, yeah, I was isometric, isometric ability. Yep. Um, so those are the prerequisites. So, but that's why we love training because in training you can see if the person can actually do it or they can't. Right. So it's like, Here's 30 minutes, right? Mm. And, and, and why 30 minutes? I don't know. Let's just see if they could do it. So 30 minutes, you're going to do a farmer carry over to that spot over there with these two dumbbells in your hands. And then you're going to come back over here. Um, you're going to walk briskly. And then you're going to hold this FLR position for 20 seconds in a row with perfect position, right? Um, and then you're going to jump rope. You know, and you're going to do 50 singles of jump rope. But you just got to be coordinated and keep it easy and just do that. And you're going to do this over and over for 30 minutes. And let's just say, right, mm -hmm. that after eight minutes, what do we start to see, right? We start to see that the person complains that they can't hold on to the dumbbell anymore. Or we start seeing the middle alignment changes. Or they start seeing a production of heat, right? They start to get really sweaty. So in the FLR now, they're like dripping sweat. And for some people, that could happen at two minutes. But for, for this person, something happened at eight, right? And so what we see at eight in the splits, right, for the 30-minute repeats is that eight minutes they started to slow their splits. Mm -hmm. So under the definition of scientific application of aerobic ability, they have now become unsustainable. 
So this is why training always works, is that they either remained sustainable or they didn't. So if they stopped being sustainable, you call the session, right? So their workout is done at nine minutes because all they could do was nine minutes of continual repeated aerobic work, mm -hmm. right? But I used three different modalities, right? I used the gymnastics piece, a loaded piece, and a cyclical piece. And that's called mixed modal aerobic training. Yeah. Now you can just see, and the reason why I give this example is that we recommend that people do a tremendous amount of volume of aerobic work before they start doing faster stuff. So the reason why I gave you that example, so many people can't even sustain anything that resembles somewhat of contractions or isometric contractions beyond a couple of minutes. So we have to think to ourselves: where if they can't sustain it for a couple of minutes, then do we just stop at three minutes and give them a two minute rest and start again? And my answer is no, because they are not scaffolding the blood and the lungs and the muscles in coordination at a low contractive rate and something that can be sustained for a very long period of time. So it works against physiology to scaffold this up to get the best aerobic potential possible. And this again, Robbie, where people do a mixed modal aerobic training incorrectly, they only have a class to fit it into. Mm. So they just put it into tough intervals. And what you get in those intervals is people actually becoming glycolytic because of motor control issues and they don't have the base of, of volume. I'll change my words now. They have a base of volume built up to handle the contractions inside of it. But that just won't fit inside my group classes, James. It's, it's almost impossible. Um, and I'm empathetic. Listen, I'm empathetic to people who can't put it into place, mm. but you're fraudulent if you now know this, yeah. right? It's, it's fraud. You're, you're working against natural measures of, of aerobic potential, right? if people are, are doing this. Um, so if, if you put up a 20 minute something on the board um, and you're still believing that the suffering and the drop in power for 20 minutes is making people more fit, you have been lied to, right? It's completely incorrect thinking. Yeah, I'm just, uh, again, going back to, you know, you are extremely principle based. I mean, it is just good training principles. That's just extensive work before going into intensive work. It's just exactly, but no one wants to do the extensive work that's required to do the expression of the of the intensive work. In, in terms of the session design, there would that be like all the person sessions? So after their warm, oh, by the way, that reminds me, I'd love to have a conversation about warming up for different activities. Yeah, that's, that's for like, sure. Maybe another time. It's it, it's amazing. Like when you say warm, people go, "Oh, warm." So like, yeah, but like very different depending on the activities you're doing and the, and the temperature is. and all that. Mm -hmm. Like it's some difference right now. It's, it's summer here in Ireland and like the difference in the amount of warmth I have to do here in the winter for say Olympic weightlifting compared to the summer is just like. I so know. And energy system training is even more complex than that because of the other side of thermoregulation you have to take into consideration for fuel substrate, buffering, recovery, et cetera. You actually put a post out on your Facebook a while back. You, I think we were on the rower, but you were outside and you were like, not yeah. feeling you not feeling sustainable and you're like I need, i'm gonna mm -hmm. measure my, my skin temperature yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's oh, one thing into one of our limitations with regulation yeah yeah um just in terms of that that's uh session design so because i know there'd be some people that'd be interested would it typically like still with, with that person who needs that aerobic base are they coming in and let's say that 20 minute block or 30 minute block where they only got to eight minutes was that their was would that have been their main work piece for that session or would they still do some, you know, quote, quote, functional bodybuilding with some free weights first and then go into that? Yeah, if it, uh, so that's very individualized. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'll answer in two ways. 
Number one, with true aerobic work, true aerobic work should be able to concurrently mix with a lactic or strength training work, yeah. not a lactic energy system, but a lactic strength training yeah. because it doesn't put a dampening effect on the CNS. Yeah. So true aerobic work can be done before or after whatever, you know, and, and mm -hmm. people get a little lost in there. And I'm, I'm very careful of telling coaches to go out there and be like, I ah, just put it all together and it'll all work out because they don't have a framework to work with recovery exactly. and trends and watching, mm -hmm. but it should be, it should be able to go together in best practices. Um, this person in the example I had given because they had a critical drop off, it was probably a motor unit recovery, phosphate recovery, functional volume is not there. Total volume is not accumulated. You fast track them, et cetera, et cetera. That would probably be the end of their session. So they're going to do only a cool down or something simple after that, but it was probably preempted by some strength training activity or what we consider motor control activity before that. I just think that'd be so funny. You're done. Uh, but I just came. No, you're done. Uh, uh, you know, and this, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So many things to contend with. And you know, and all the time that's spent in fitness today, unfortunately is on answering that question of the client. Like, how do we fix that scenario? Yeah. How do we, how do we make the client feel better by fixing all the behavioral and physical shit that's happening when someone's not capable of doing exercise? Mm. Oh, let's offer a different class. Let's uh, give them a, another Metcon. Let's uh, just let them keep going under fatigue. You know what I'm saying? We're just applying all these things to make it very client centric when really they can't even express what we're trying to get out of the session. Sorry, that's a tangent, but um, uh, it's so worry. funny that all the time is spent in fitness today on that. It's actually useless. Hey, Why not is, just fix the design? Yeah, this is our podcast. You can tangent all you want. <laughs> and and if, if, if people don't like it, as I say, they can fuck off. Mm -hmm. um, Which is different than F-U-C-K over here in North America. <laughs> you should include the clip on FAC. Uh, the Irish uh, FAC YouTube clip. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I, I can find one for you. It's like a three-minute, three-minute, like, uh, you know who gave this to me? It was a guy in Wales who was an Irish guy who was in the Wales PD. PD um, and the way that I said uh, that word um, came off like a very noofy new tint, which I still have sometimes when I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was like, oh, just a second, brother. Yeah. Um, and he gave me the three minute clip and I was just dying for hours on the, uh, Irish way of saying that for, uh, for minutes and minutes on end. It's a TV show. These guys say F A C K just consistently. Anyways, uh, I, I, we'll interviewed Joel, I interviewed Joel Jameson for, for us, for the OPEX uh, podcast and, uh, he loves the film snatch and he loves, <laughs> he loves the bit with the dog, you know? Oh yeah. Do, uh, do, do you like that? Do you like dags? Dags? He's like, you dags. Oh, you mean dogs? Ah, oh, I like dogs. <laughs> you know, and he keeps calling. He, he's he's fascinated with Irish thinkers, Joel Jameson, for whatever reason. He's calling oh, interesting. Me, he's calling me mm. thinker. Um, last one for you. Um, last one and uh, one or two or the small little things, but major. But last kind of main question around energy systems, if you have the time, um, mm -hmm. is two athletes. Uh, we briefly spoke about this when with our when I was over with you in Arizona. One is more um, aerobic in their essence. One is more of a strength athlete in their essence. Mm -hmm. all things being equal which they never are let's just say yeah. from a from a technical standpoint in terms of all their movements and all that who would you prefer to have and just before i i i let you answer away there like most people and i would be of this top mindset and um, maybe you can correct it, it, it for me it all seems easier to get the stronger person more aerobic 
than it is to get the aerobic person stronger, newer muscularly. Do you know what I mean? Up to the levels of the strength of the strength athlete that we're bringing more aerobically, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, um, you know, because when we get into, um, and it depends, of course, this is why it's gray, but it's a good range stretch. Um, if we're assuming that we're just trying to make them concurrently better at both, mm-hmm. then yes, I would like to apply um, some more, let's call it, lifestyle training techniques to keep strength but raise someone's aerobic potential as opposed to trying to drum up ways of neurologically making the electrical charge and the anabolic response more effective Um, that's just if someone's presented with that that's just a tougher thing to do Mm -hmm. Um, and and so that's my answer but secondly I wanted to make a point it's very interesting that within the within our sport of fitness which by the way, I'll continue to say it. I think it's one of the toughest sports to train people for because you have to be concurrently good at everything Yeah. for people that I don't mean are elite because they don't really teach us a lot, but to make people that are not that good, really good at it, you need to know a lot of shit effectively. Otherwise you're just stressing people out and then kicking off the 50 that you lose, but you're only Instagramming post the three that keep up with your shitty program. Um, I think in, in that side, it's really important to recognize that a lot of really aerobic people um, do well in the sport um, simply because the program that's given to them is a shit kicking program. And because they're so aerobic that it takes them, you know, years and years and months and months to develop this cortisol based survival mechanism of getting stronger, but they still keep that aerobic potential. Mm. But everyone thinks that's the program, right? So they sell the strength training program that these people were on to get better when they forgot to ask the question, like what was their aerobic potential when they started or yeah. capacity? Yeah. And I just wanted to make that point. It gets really, you know, cause then people just sell higher cows and, and maxing out all the time and et cetera. And they forget to ask the question, like who did we present with at the beginning? Mm. And if it's someone with a really high aerobic potential, of course they're going to try to maximize the other side of the continuum because that's what they're weakest at. But they think that that program works for anyone, um, which is unfortunate because then you put that program to anyone and it burns 80% of most people. Yeah, again, it's uh, Chad Wesley Smith has a story about somebody who went up to Illy Ilium and was like, you know, what, what training do you do now, Ilium? And Chad's like, you should be asking what training was he doing 10 years ago or 12 or 20. years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's like people open up the book and they go to chapter 13 and go, I'm going to take this stuff. It's like, yeah. no, no, you got to go that's back right. to chapter one. That's but uh, right. yeah, like, that's I a mean, good point. I know... Um, I know, like, when you go back and look at the likes of Rich Frowning, you look at uh, Brent Frakowski, Noah Olson, like, all these guys have put in volume, a lot of volume. Uh, Marcus, obviously, is another guy, did a lot of bodybuilding type stuff before he got into, uh, before he got into CrossFit. Um, mm-hmm. But as well, uh, concurrent training was, is, was a topic now I did a lot of research in this year in my physiology module for my master's. And so interesting, like, you know, in that – when you really dive into it, you're like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, like that aerobic destroy strength is like none of the concurrent models are showing that. Like none of yeah. the, the literature was showing that at all. Like, and, uh, and then at the other end of the spectrum was like when endurance athletes started to bring strength in, it, it helped their performance. But when like strength athletes brought in well-programmed aerobic yeah, that's work, the caveat. Yeah, well-programmed. Well and and even, even at that, you look at the research, you're like, this still isn't great. Uh, yeah, it, it actually had very little impact on their hypertrophy strength. Now there did seem to be some impact on power output, but mm-hmm. then you get into the mechanisms. They're like, why is this? Is it to do with you know AMPK versus mTOR? Mm-hmm. Is it which I th- yeah PG one alpha and all that stuff? 
Yeah, which right. I think that in the white paper, they shouldn't even be investigating there. They should have looked at what were the modalities that were chosen oh, to yeah. look at the concurrent differences. Because then if they were to choose that, it'd be like, we wouldn't even be getting into this quagmire of mm. what causes those fatigue mechanisms. Because then they spend you know 15 years of looking at what the differences are there and how to improve it when they shouldn't have even been looking in that door. Yeah. Instead, yeah. it would just make sense. Like if you're going to run eccentrically and then back squat, there's probably going to be some issues over time when someone's CNS gets developed so much that they can produce power out there on asphalt and they're trying to do the same thing with running, mm. you know? So, but then people are like, Oh my God, they got weaker. Let's figure out why they got weaker. Was it due to this enzymes? Like it just makes sense, you know? Yeah. Um, but they forgot to say, well, how about all the programs where people were swimming or rowing or, or, uh, skydiving <laughs> aerobically yeah, is a yeah. bad, bad example. Um, and back squatting, ironically, they still got stronger yes. and they improved their aerobic potential. Yes. Yes. So it's like, mm, maybe you just need to look at the, the dose response of how they're both working together. Took the words out of my mouth there. I was just about to say dose response, but, and, and they only ever, it's only ever running and cycling. And like the conclusion to come to is running. Which we understand that. Yeah, we understand that. Less detrimental. <laughs> it's like, oh, we think it's cause of like the no eccentrics. Um, but yeah. other, the other thing is the mechanisms, like and a lot of it too, again, if it's not prescribed properly, I mean, there's like fatigue. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's yeah. Good point. Like we could be thinking that you're doing, you know, aerobic intervals on a flywheel bike and you're actually doing lactic intervals on a flywheel bike. Again, yeah. And then people are like, oh, my athletes are tired from doing aerobic training. It's like, well, let me see your programming. What were you doing? Oh, we were doing Tabata. Mm. Yeah, that's not aerobic training, bro. Uh, that's glycolytic work. A, a question I wanted to ask, um, just I think would be good. Is there any particular like prescriptions that you, you've done back in the day and you're looking at it going, oh, God. Like in terms of mixed mold, you're like, well, that didn't work. Oh yeah. Well, this one I mentioned just earlier of trying to fit into a shorter window, a lactic endurance or lactic power yeah. with mixed model work, um, where we'd see people either get completely wrecked because they were super powerful or they would just be like, ah, I'm not sure what I got from that. Yeah. So that, and that has changed, you know, that's been, uh, you know, took, took me a couple of years to kind of figure that one out in terms of its prescription. Um, and something that I would have changed, um, was initially doing too many, challenging contractions in the longer aerobic work so when you do you know we used to do lots of three or four 10 minute mixed modal aerobic pieces for the same reason of getting people built up with volume of aerobic work the modalities that used to be in there were sometimes too challenging where we'd get people at the end of the four by ten minutes maintaining power output but they were effed <laughs> so they were like completely wasted um, so they, it's still under the definition of sustainability. They sustained, but they were gassed out. So what you got was a, a motor unit fatigue because the potential inside was not there for the person. So we replace a lot of those, you know, four by tens now with carries and holds and isometric work to yeah. get people up to the point where they can sustain the tougher contractions over time. Interesting, the evolution of MAP2, just, um, cur that's currently where I'm at in the program design. Yeah. Um, just for the listeners or viewers, MAP just stands for maximum aerobic power. I think that'll be a good topic for maybe the next day. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, you went to MAP7, you're like, this is where we used to start, but mm -hmm. this is the feedback we got. And this is why I love MAP10 yeah. too. You're just like, this is just like really low, four hours you should be able to sustain. You know, can nice you walk and easy. Up, can you walk mm -hmm. up the stairs? Um, cause, cause again, like, you know, I just think my mind, like these are the clients that are coming to mo people most of the time. Like, it's like, yeah. you know, if they can't do this and then it just, you know, you were telling me, well, I've only got an hour, so we're going to do these five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, resources, James. Um, something you really opened me up to. I don't think you actually realize this because I don't think I said it to you, but like I've started to read more endurance running books and triathlon books. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alex Viada now also would have put me on that because I love yeah. Alex because he's kind of come from the world of bodybuilding and then powerlifting and he kind of broke into the endurance world and that's why he, now the, you know, the hybrid athlete is his book and all. But he's just like, you know, us, us, us guys and girls because it's female coach too if we've come from sort of that sort of um world of strength and condition we really kind of come more from that that strength end of the spectrum and, and we don't seem to ever it's, it's probably more of an unconscious thing we just never think of reading endurance materials you know because mm-hmm. i suppose we had this unconscious belief oh, should they're weak people and like what 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 can we learn from them that we could apply to our at least where it's a strength power sport and it's like well actually we can learn a lot <laughs> yeah uh, in terms of like their pro their long-term program design and, and planning is like if you read a lot of the endurance stuff, it's like far superior to, to some to some strength models. Um, there's a guy, uh, the, the Science of Winning, is it? Jan Albeck. I'm, re- I'm reading Jan Albeck. Jan Albeck, sorry, Jan Albeck. Jan Albeck, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. the swimming guy. I'm reading that book at yep. the moment. Yep. That's excellent. But, uh, I was just going to, I just wrote it down to recommend it. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. So, yeah, what, so what, the, what's, your, what's your recommendations there in terms yeah, of? Yeah, the uh, Eastern European swimming models or East European rowing models. Um, a German rowing model or German rowing model literature, if you can get your hands on that, would be great. Mm. Um, 800 meter um, track, um, I think, is super interesting in terms of models as to how do people create specialists or really good people within that. Yeah. Um, years back, I I followed Nick Simmons, I think his name was, for multiple years, just due to his attitude as well as kind of the politics within the sport. But it just went me down a rabbit hole of also me personally getting invested in trying to be good at 800 meters. And I discovered a new highlight in there in terms of energy system training that would open up our minds beyond the endurance model. I think the endurance model research, the endurance model application has so much strength and depth because of the time was put into it. Yeah, yeah. But if I can, I don't want to make it reductionist, but they're really focused on sustainability for as long as possible. So the positives around that are the characteristics we can learn from that to bring into other models, right? The downsides of that is that there's generally fundamentally only a couple of different limitations. And so we really can't carry those over to almost all other improvements in aerobic capacity, mm-hmm. but they're a really damn good place to start. Yeah. And I want to say that that's where I did start, but I think you know, it comes back to, and I know I sound like we're patting ourselves on the back for doing this, but I think those people that got in, invested in CrossFit and actually practiced it for 10 years know more about energy system training development if they did it and applied it correctly um, with mixed modal work that they accepted and practiced as opposed to only using long-term endurance models. Mm -hmm. Because if you were to only use marathon models, ultra endurance models, distance swimming, distance kayaking, again, you will be limited to only having a model of O2 carrying capacity, et cetera, et cetera. When you get into studying rowing models, um, like you mentioned, um, especially like 200 meter individual medley, 400 meter individual medley, um, 800 meter track. These are still endurance athletes, mm-hmm. but the way to make them as endurance as possible is very, very interesting inside. Yeah. So yeah. study those models and they'll give you at least a framework of understanding um, and just give it time. I'll have a book that'll come out in some time about mixed modal training and all the concepts around how to improve that with mixed modal training and hope hopefully I'll be a um the genesis of people wanting to investigate mixed modal training so in 20 years time 
we maybe have a little bit more things to discuss where people will say, if you want to learn about energy system training, you really want to study those folks that are doing intense fitness because mm-hmm. there's a lot of interesting stuff inside of there that, that is not just the endurance model that we use as frameworks to improve aerobic capacity. Yeah. In Jan Albeck's book, uh, it, it, it's, it's funny cause it reminded me of Kevin Tyler from Altus. Uh, I'll get that in just a second, but in that book by, uh, Jan Albeck, if I'm saying his name, right. The science of science of winning. Um, <laughs> even like his endurance work he he breaks it up into shorter intensive blocks with shorter rest intervals so it was nearly like a mixed model you know still but actually it was mixed model because sometimes he would do the four strokes back to back mm-hmm. yep that's you what know. i meant that the im work is the is mixed model that's what yeah. you know it's a, it's an iteration of that and so the the concepts of work and rest scenarios with different modalities mm-hmm. even in the water was used consistently yeah um and i think that from that group we could extract a whole bunch of things um but whenever you look at their models of training, you still have to ask this and sort of take this in a tangent as to who they're working with. But you got to remember that a lot of their models are developed from people they have in front of them who are truly aerobic right away. Mm. Do you see that? So if people, if all the people you have in front of you are being chosen in that sport because they're super aerobic and not explosive, then, and they have, you know, broad shoulders and a thin waist and small asses and long feet, then you pretty much, you can't, you can't take that model and carry it over to everyone. Does that make sense? Just like yeah, an endurance yeah. model, right? Long legs, tiny calf, long feet, somewhat flat arches, right? Little tiny tibia, nice ass, tiny upper body, small arms, little head, big lungs, you know? It's like, well, can we take all those models and like carry it over into what we see, you know, trying to get good at 90 minutes at the CrossFit Games? Like, yeah, a couple of pieces of it. But, mm. uh, but not a lot. So we got to remember those things because that coach may have seen 10,000 iterations, which was what is expressed from a truly aerobic athlete. They never actually had someone in front of them who was somewhat middle zone, all rounder, or more of a sprinter. Yeah. And my point would be how to make those people more aerobic is a very interesting phenomenon. Brilliant. The, the reason I brought Kevin Tyler was that because you'd know from up in Canada, they couldn't go out to the track for most of the year. So he's like, when they had to do their speed endurance, he'd have to do it in a hallway where it was like 60 meters, but they would just do like these yep. 60 meter repeats with short intervals instead yep. of getting like pure speed or special, sorry, special endurance. Yeah. So with a jacket of, on in a yeah. fucking cold arena with a Zamboni, Zamboni smoke in the air, you know, uh, I'm just patting the Canadians on the back for the work they had to do to be good. Yeah, it, it was funny you mentioned there about the aerobic model too, in terms of, you know, purely nearly kind of the old, you know, the old traditional, purely looking at this sort of systemic, you know, cardiovascular, lungs, pulmonary sort of adaptations. And then people trying to take that classic model and pro- apply it to like um, the sport of fitness and like forgetting that you need to be able to utilize that aerobic metabolism through functionally sustained um, muscular contractions. Because I heard you, it was on the podcast with the two boys from Australia, um, My Muscle Project. Mm-hmm. I think they were asking, what would you change? And you would have said you would have changed your aerobic training model sooner. And that, yeah. that's, that's when you kind of said That's what that. I was mentioning, muscle yeah. endurance. That's yeah. exactly it. The, kind of the, the mm-hmm. whole essence then of functional bodybuilding, getting that peripheral yep. adaptation to be able to use aerobic metabolism. So. And tendon adaptation. Yeah, that's by the right. way, that, that's something I was going to say to you because just when you were talking, I don't know whether to bring this up or not, when you were talking about that client going for 30 minutes and then it lasted eight, and I think you know, like I, I was just thinking in my mind, like if I had to do like skipping there, I don't think I could last three. Like I think my, my tendons would start getting, yeah, a lot, a lot and of that's people. why I chose it, right? Because yeah. it's very small, right? I mean, you're getting off the ground by like two centimeters, right? Mm. 
but you do that 50 times for eight rounds, right? Maybe eight rounds or maybe it's like four rounds, but there's going to come a point where your tendons just can't take it. Right. Mm -hmm. So same thing with an FLR, you know, that's why you look at gymnastics bodies and the progressions that Chris Somner offers for people. He hasn't really extended out beyond that really. And he really shouldn't right? how to take those movements and put them into a metabolic state, which is the reason why they hate it, which yeah. is why they should, because it carries over none to function, but they know tendon improvement really well. Mm -hmm. And so what do you see with all their training, right? It's just straight arm, you know, activities, um, and uh, all that work to improve that tendon structure such that it can sustain those tougher contractions yeah. for a long period of time, which is the reason why with that aerobic work, you know, it trains not only what you said for motor recruitment and uh, muscle endurance capability, but also for the tendons uh, ability Absolutely. to get yeah. more reps. Absolutely. And I mean, if you go back and look at the old Russian stuff for Christianity, ext extensive plyometrics, that's what that was. Yeah, it was, it was right. aerobic work. People that's right. That, yeah. That's right. They just go, yeah. oh, volume. The depth jumps. Volume. Like, yeah, but look what he done before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, volume of work. Um, do you know Max Shank? Do you've heard of Max? Yeah, Schenk? yeah. Or I heard of Max Shank. I've not met him or uh, know he, much of his stuff. He's been the latest guest on with the lads on the My Muscle Project. Second shout out to the boys. Um, but he um he said a very good thing, and it was it was actually you'd love this because it would make I think it would make a lot of sense in your mind too. Where he goes uh he goes like functional training is actually not good for a lot of people. It's getting them injured. And he's like, you know, and, he, and then he goes, you know, bicep curls are actually probably good for people because it helps their elbows. Because <laughs> yeah, he, he's based on like all these people who, again, who don't have any volume, uh, no accumulation mm -hmm. and they're just going into like high intensity functional movements and they're just squatting heavy and deadlifting or doing cleans. And he's like, like, he's like, well, we would say that, Oh, that is good training. You know, if you look at it initially on paper in terms of if someone mm -hmm. could actually do it and deserve to be there, he's like, yeah, but these people are getting fucked up because they don't have any volume or they haven't trained any of these like smaller muscle groups or he got the tendon strength and then he was joking he's like you know if you do like loads of heavy pulling and you don't do any direct like work for like the tendon strength here he's like body bicep curls are probably a very good thing yeah isolate before integrate right principles yeah and secondly my point that i want to hit again which answers all those questions so people can look at any celebrity and go oh does that guy make sense you always have to ask can the person express it Right. So this person did that workout, they could express it. And this is where people just get stopped. They're like, yeah, but dude, they did 30 deadlifts in a workout. It's like, yeah, but did they recover from it? Mm. See, this is the thing is like, and that's his point. He's like, okay, so sure. You can do lots of pulling and a full day of it, back extensions, deadlifting and box jumps for 30 minute AMRAP and you feel wasted and you dropped power and your low back is sore. Okay. You did express it but it takes you two weeks to recover from it. And now you have this little left hip shit going on. Do you know what I'm saying? So people have to keep remembering that. And then third, of course, which no one ever gives a shit about is does it lead to max potential? Um, and in most cases it doesn't for those people. So ask those questions and then you can realize that Max's principles are very good. Yeah. Listen, we could talk for hours and hours, my friend. Um, last thing, what are you reading at the moment? Uh, Sports Illustrated. <laughs> Actually uh, the newest newest topic of Sports Illustrated and um, an interesting uh, one on surveillance oh. um, and the Economist. That is that, plus, a Jim, uh, that a Jim Crawl recommendation was it? Oh no, no. Um, we would be right up his alley for sure. But um, I'm really interested in um, surveillance and the privacy stuff. And uh, BigThink.com also is a good site to go to for some AI. Yeah. introduction into that it's just of interest of me right now so yeah, yeah. Right. summertime is just a magazine reads i have a, a cat i have a 
catalog of uh, magazines that I get, um, The Atlantic, Harper's, Economist, Sports Illustrated, Fortune, um, Sports you're making, Illustrated, yeah. You're making my I show do, notes. You're making my show oh. notes really long. <laughs> oh, sorry, man. <laughs> um, no, I just go through those in the summertime um, yeah. just to stay up to date on what's happening. Brilliant, brilliant. All right. All different kinds. We'll stop recording here, Fitzy. That was outstanding. So again, listeners, viewers, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed yeah, that. Thanks, as, everyone, for being here. Yeah, much as I did. That was fantastic. So from myself, Robbie Burke, and from the man himself, James Fitzgerald, I'll see you later. See you, bud.